everyone. Good evening, you guys hooked up, connected online here. Uh, tonight, we are going to continue our study here in the book of Luke. And if you can grab your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we're going to continue going through this chapter. We're making our way slowly, actually, but uh, I wanted to get a little more deeper into these verses and these sections. And uh, so we're taking our time. We'll have uh, tonight's message and next week uh, the rest of the chapter. But tonight we're going to be studying Luke chapter 9 from verse 46 to 56. And I titled our message, The Problem with Pride. And as uh, Zach already prayed already uh, for tonight in the message, we're going to get right into the word. So Luke, Luke chapter 9, 46 through 56, The Problem with Pride. I read about this interview many years ago with actor Tom Selleck of Magnum P.I. fame. I think he's gone on to some other movies. But uh, he had said in this interview, Whenever I get full of myself, I remember the nice elderly couple who approached me with a camera on the street in Honolulu one day. When I struck a pose for them, the man said, No, no, we want you to take a picture of us. Sometimes pride has me thinking of myself. And it blinds me actually to what's really going on. And so tonight, as we get back into the book of Luke here in chapter 9, Jesus not only gives some solutions to pride, but exposes the problems with the disciples. He shows them the problems with pride. That's our title. Now we're going to see three things here. The problems with pride, where you see number one, it brings contention. Number two, the problem with pride, it brings separation. And number three, it brings discrimination. And so those are the three main things we're going to look at here. And what Jesus brings up in our passage. So let's begin begin with number one, the problem with pride. Number one, it brings contention. It brings contention. Now, here we're going to be covering verse 46 through 48. And uh, at first, let's take a look at verse 46. It says here, An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. And we'll stop right there. So, as we come into this chapter, it's after the transfiguration. It's after uh, the healing of the demonic boy. And it's after Jesus foretelling his death. And so the next thing we see here is this big argument going on between the disciples. And it was all over, as we read here, which of them would be the greatest. Now, can you imagine that? Jesus had just shared with the disciples, as we saw last week, for the second time now, about his predicting his death, that he was going to die on a cross. But what he was really trying to do, right, is get them to refocus on the mission. And as I titled the message last week, Refocus on Jesus, that was the whole idea. But the next thing we see is these disciples are arguing. Who's the greatest? Now, what does that mean? What's going on? Well, remember the disciples, the crowd, the people, the Jewish nation, actually, they were looking for a Messiah to come and conquer the Romans, right? To bring victory, take away the oppression, bring in the kingdom of God. And so they were looking for that political Messiah, not the suffering Messiah. And so they looked for 
Or even themselves, but they kept focusing on what they were more concerned about, and that is who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom when the Messiah sets up his kingdom. In the new regime, what position will they have? And of course, the disciples felt as part of the leadership that they would be in government, that they would have positions of prominence there, that perhaps they would be, or Each one of them thought that they would have that main position. The lieutenant, the one sitting right next to Jesus, the one at his right hand, so to speak. But how insensitive that is to be thinking that right after Jesus said, I'm going to die. (laughs) Crazy. So they're arguing. There's this contention. So we see that pride, it brings contention. For the problem is this. Now, throughout this message tonight, I'm going to bring you the problem, and then I'm going to bring you the solution that Jesus brings. So first of all, the problem is this. Pride nurtures personal gain. That's what we see here. Pride just nurtures personal gain. Can you imagine, like one of the disciples, they're boasting, did you see how many people I prayed for and they were healed? Did you see how many demons I cast out? Remember, they went on that short-term mission. Maybe Matthew pipes in and he's like, what? No way. I serve more than you guys. I do more than all of you. I do more in in one day than you do in one week. And so I'm going to be right there in that position. Perhaps Peter interrupts and says, look, you guys are nothing. Who is up on the mountain with Jesus? Wasn't it I, James and John and and, and me? I'm, I'm always there right behind Jesus. It's going to be me. I'm going to be the lieutenant. But perhaps then James responds and says, no way, no one likes a big mouth, right? (laughs) No one likes you, Peter. I will be at his right hand and John, my brother, will be at his left. Remember how the mother came and asked for that? And perhaps John piped in and said, wait, wait, you? No, I'm on the right hand, you're on the left. I'm the greatest. So you can imagine all this contention going on, vying for position. And so you see how ugly Pride can be, especially when it comes down to that desire, right? For position, yeah? to be on the stage, to be in that prominent place, to, to have the power, to have the glory. The problem we see is pride nurtures personal gain. And you know what that means if you really think about it? If you really think about it, it's using Jesus for your own be- benefit. That's what it's doing. It, 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 you may say, well, it's for the kingdom. It's for God's kingdom. But it's more to use God's kingdom so you can get that position, so you can have that power, so you can look great, mostly in your own eyes. You know, I was thinking about how Jesus talked about the hireling. You remember that? In John chapter 10, uh, verse 12 and 13, it says, He 
who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own this sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Then in verse 13, in John 10, Jesus says, He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. What did he care? What does he care for? The wages. What he can get. And so the hireling only cares for that. And so many times, you know what, in ministry, hirelings only care about boosting their own pride. What they can gain, that personal gain. So the problem we see right away, pride nurtures personal gain. But what's the solution? The solution now is to concentrate on being the least, not the greatest. Take a look at verse 41. 41? No, 47, sorry. 47. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their heart, took a child and put him by his side. Verse 48, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. So then Jesus comes up and he replies to what they've been talking about. Really, what's behind their words, which is pride as we're talking about. Now, in Mark chapter 9, in the parallel passage, Jesus actually came up to them and said, Hey, what are you guys talking about? And Mark chapter 9 says, They went all quiet. <laughs> They're like, Oh, oh, they got caught. But in Matthew 18, it says that one of the disciples, and perhaps after they're all quiet, perhaps one of the d- disciples asked, oh, Jesus, who's the greatest disciples? You know, I, I can imagine all the other disciples go, well, how can he ask that? What is he doing? And, and maybe that disciple saying, who's the greatest, Jesus? You know, kind of thing. Well, Jesus saw a child nearby, has it brought next to his side, and I'm guessing maybe right there on his right side, right, is that position of, of power and, and a position there. And he told them, you know what, whoever receives this child, whoever welcomes the keiki, you know what, they welcome me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes my father. In other words, that, that child is in a place of prominent position, welcome, received by both Jesus and God the Father. Now, you got to understand what that means to the disciples at that moment. In that culture, at that ancient time, children were nothing but second-class citizens. They are down there. And so now Jesus brings this child up, the least in society, and puts this child in the position of prominence. Then Jesus says, with this analogy, like right in front of the disciples, He says, you know what? He who is least among you all is the one who is great. So the solution to the problem of pride, the pride that nurtures personal gain, the solution is to concentrate on being the least, not the greatest. That's what the Lord is saying here. Concentrate on being the least, not the greatest. D.L. Moody once wrote, The measure of a man is not knowing how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. I love that. That's the idea. The least will be the greatest. This is not what is normal, at least in the world, right? 
I mean, in the world, you, you think about it. We tend to want to be the top one, right? We tend to want to be the fastest, the smartest, the strongest, right? The one who catches more waves or catches more fish, right? The, the, the one who's, 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 who's out there, where people look up to. We tend to look at that as success. The one who has the most money, we tend to look at that as, as the best thing to do here. But that's the world. But that thinking has come into our lives as believers even. We, we bring that into church. I want to be on stage or I want, I, want, I want to be the most spiritual one and let everyone know that how long I pray and spend with God. We want to be that most spiritual one or, or, or we're the purest, the most holy. Yet all that is pride. What Jesus is saying is focus on being the least. That doesn't mean we don't try or be obedient to God's word. It means that we humble ourselves and not seek things out for our own personal gain. You know what? We got to do the opposite. We, we got to put Jesus forth, right? He must increase while I decrease. The gain must be that God be glorified. Not what I do or, or what I think I am or how I appear or where my standing is in the church or what my ministry is. No, it's about serving God to His glory. And that's what Jesus is saying. The problem, the pride, the pride that nurtures personal gain, the solution is to concentrate on being the least, not the greatest. Well, let's go on to number two. It brings separation. First of all, it brings this contention. Well, it's nurture, pride nurtures uh, personal gain, the problem with pride. But it, pride also brings separation. Now look at verse 49. We're going to cover 49 and 50 here, but first of all, verse 49. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and, and, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. Now, it might be at this moment that John honestly was bringing up this question. All right, It might be at this moment that John was convicted. Maybe he knew what was, you know, that he shouldn't be prideful. And so he brought up this situation to see if this was a problem with pride. It could be that. Someone was out there casting out demons using Jesus' name. So the disciples approached him and said, Hey, you, you can't be doing that. You're not part of our group. You're not one of the official followers or disciples of Jesus. In a way, they were like, how dare you do what we do? Yeah. I mean, that was sort of their, their mode right now. Infringing on our territory. You're not, you're not us. You're not part of it. You're not, you're not like us. And so you see, pride, it brings separation. For the problem is, pride nurtures, you know what, self-preservation. That's what I see here. Pride nurtures self-preservation. Their position was threatened. They were to be the only ones. They were the official ones. They could not have anyone else doing what they do. So they put restrictions on what others could do. It could be jealousy. It could be Pride, afraid, afraid of what others would think if someone was more maybe effective. I mean, these guys just earlier, right? Um, they couldn't cast out that demon. 
And here's someone else going out in Jesus' name and casting demons out. Wait, wait, no, no, sorry, sorry. I think it was pride protecting itself. It was rejecting everyone for their own self-preservation, keeping, really, the blessing only to themselves. A little boy prayed with the family saying, Dear God, bless Daddy, bless Mommy, bless my little sister, and bless me. Bless us for and no more. (laughs) Sometimes we're like that. We're so territorial, so possessive in our self-preservation that we don't want anyone to do better than us and we don't want anyone to encroach on our territory. So the problem, pride nurtures self-preservation. But here's the solution that Jesus brings. The solution is to appreciate others when God uses them. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to them, said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Jesus says, don't, don't stop him. Don't stop him from being used of God to help others in need. For the one who is not against you, you know, he's really for you. In other words, they are also doing the kingdom work like you, right? Yeah, he, he's, he that is not against you, yeah, he's, he's with you, he's for you. They are on the same team. You guys are on the same team working for the kingdom of God. So the solution to the problem of pride, the pride that nurtures self-preservation, the solution is to appreciate others when God uses them. I remember coming home uh, late one day from work and one day and, and Kristen, my wife, was sharing how she prayed with our little boys to receive Jesus. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, I was so happy and excited. But you know what? There was a part of me going, oh, I wanted to be there. Oh, the dad, the dad, I want to be the one to pray with them, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, I think back, I, I believe it's a memory God wanted to store in their hearts, you know. There's their mom who led them. But, but pride says, I want to be the one. Pride says, I want to be the only one. But we can kill that pride by saying, you know what, I'm blessed that the other person got to be blessed and be used by God in that way. I try to keep in mind something that President Ronald Reagan had on a plaque in the White House. It said this, There is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he does not mind who gets the credit. Isn't that good? That's a humble way to look at things. That, that's a way that, hey, it doesn't matter who, who, who gets the credit, who gets it done, right? It doesn't matter at all. It's, it's that we're getting it done all together, that we're a team. So let's put to death the pride that feels so threatened. Let's put to death that pride by humbling ourselves and appreciate those whom God uses, even if it's not you, even if they're more effective. Praise God. They're furthering the kingdom. So let's tackle the problem with pride because it brings contention, it brings separation. And now, number three, 
It brings discrimination. It brings discrimination. Now, this is going to be the rest of the verses we're looking at, verse 51 through 56. But first of all, look at the first three verses of this section, 51 to 53. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. For him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. We'll stop there. So time had come. Jesus was determined now to really get to Jerusalem. He was in Galilee. He needs to get to Jerusalem. There in Jerusalem, he'll be betrayed. There in Jerusalem, he'll be uh, unjustly arrested. He'll be put on trial False witnesses will come out. There in Jerusalem is when he'll be handed over to Pilate, the Roman governor. He'll be scourged and then put upon the cross by the Roman soldiers. That was that mission that he had spoken about earlier and twice now. Well, it's time for Jesus to set his face toward Jerusalem, to set that course to begin the journey there for the end of his life on earth. Well, going from the northern area of, of, of Israel in Galilee to Jerusalem in the south, the best way, or the shortest way, I should say, was through Samaria, through the area of Samaria. Samaria was about 50 miles north of Jerusalem. And so Jesus sent someone ahead to tell the Samaritans, Hey, I'm coming. Uh, can you, you know, make... Uh, find a place for him and disciples to be. And I'm sure he was going to do some ministry there. Well, a message came back. Sorry, Jesus. We don't want you here. Sorry, Jesus. They said that we don't want to receive you. We don't go, go, don't even go through here. And they didn't want him. Why? Because, first of all, Jesus was a Jewish man. And most of all, he was a Jewish man heading toward Jerusalem to worship. See, the Samaritans wanted nothing to do with any devout, devoted Jew, any devout Jew. So we see something here. Pride, it brings discrimination. For the problem is, pride nurtures hatred and retaliation. That's what pride can do. It nurtures hatred and retaliation. And, and, and this is what I see here. This is what is being brought forth here. Now, we've studied this before, but just to remind you, there was this huge issue between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. This was racial war. This was, this was just pure hatred, and if anything happened, there was retaliation right away. And part of the Samaritans not wanting Jesus to pass through there was that retaliation. You see, it goes back to the time, 100 years before this, when the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom and the northern kingdom fell. Remember, the north and south of Israel divided. There was two kingdoms. Well, the northern kingdom fell first before the southern kingdom, Judah and, 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 and Benjamin all fell to the Babylonians. Well, Years before the south, the southern kingdom fell, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. 
And then these conquerors came in and lived among them, lived, took over that territory and married with the northern Jews. And then there was this mixed race which came to be known as the Samaritans. So they are this Hapa race that the pure-blooded Jews would stay away from. They didn't like them because of that mix. And so the Samaritans hated them back for, for their prejudice, we should say, for their segregation. They hated each other. It was so bad that normally now, a Jewish person going from Galilee to Jerusalem, they would take the long way around, crossing the Jordan and then coming back over to get to Jerusalem, to get to the festivals and the holidays and celebrations and to worship God in, the, in Jerusalem. They would not set foot in Samaria. But of course, Jesus, we know his heart, right? He's reaching everyone. He's ready to go there and do what he can to minister to the people there. But the Samaritans say, no, no, no. So they, the Samaritans didn't like the Jews, and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans because of that. But also, you know what? They battled in doctrine. The Samaritans held to only the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. The Jews held to all the Old Testament books were valid. The Samaritans held to worshiping God, which they believe originated in their land, and that's where worship should be. But the Jews, of course, held to worship that worship can only be at the temple in Jerusalem. So there was a lot of, lot of fighting, a lot of battling going on. So you see this rift was great, and the division was fueled by this constant hatred and retaliation. Pride, really, it was. It brings this discrimination. So the problem is pride nurtures hatred and retaliation, and it brings discrimination, and you know what? It brings devastation. John MacArthur said, Pride is the wedge Satan uses to split churches and splinter relationships, and that's so true. It's our pride that does that. It's that pride that separates Certainly, that's what happened here. And you know what? That's exactly the expected response from James and John. This is what we see in verse 54. Verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell, tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Here's James and John. They, th here's their reaction for the rejection of Samaria. They're asking Jesus something really crazy, you guys. Jesus, you want us to, to command some fire to come down from heaven to judge him, to torch all of Samaria? They can't do that to you, Jesus. It's okay. Use us. I mean, perhaps the, the, the disciples who had went out healing, right? They're part of the group that went out healing, part of the group that were casting out demons. How they wanted to use that power to retaliate against the Samaritans for what they did to Jesus. This was righteous. This is just. This is how James and John were. This attitude of retaliation, fueled by this, this century of, of, of battling and hatred toward the Samaritans, all came out. No wonder Jesus called them in Mark 3, 17, the sons of thunder. They were like that. 
They were probably like that with other people, with other situations. It's funny how Jesus, Jesus changes people, right? Later on, we know John became to be known as the apostle of what? Love. <laughs> Here he is, apostle of fire and brimstone. James and John, they justified their nurturing of hatred and retaliation all in the name of God. We'll call on heaven to do this, right? Now, before we go on here, I want to point out something. And if you look at the translation in the New King James Version, you will see that it, in the ESV, it doesn't have at the end of verse 54, just as Elijah did. If you look at that, there, there's something different. And, and also, if you compare the New King James to the ESV as we're using here, it doesn't have at the end of verse 55 to, to the beginning of verse 56, and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Matter of fact, if you look at any recent, or I should say modern translations, like the NLT, or the NASB, the revised version of, the, of, two, of 2020, excuse me, it's the same as the ESV here. Why is that? Why is that? Does that mean the, the ESV has changed the Word of God? No, the ESV and the other recent translations have not committed heresy for you. Get at me. <laughs> what it is, is that the New King James, which is really a modernized version of the Old King James, it, it really went to the Old King James and modernized it. it. The Old King James was originally translated in English based on a Greek New Testament they call the text, Textus Receptus. Uh, in, in Latin, it means receive text. And that was published in the early 1500s. That's what the English translation, the Old King James Version, is based on that Greek, uh, a published uh, New Testament in Greek. That was put together by a guy named Erasmus, who gathered whatever he had, whatever copies of Greek texts that he could find at the time, most of those manuscripts had been written around the 1200s, the 1200s. So what happened here? Well, since that time, older Greek manuscripts of the New Testament have been found. More of uh, uh, Greek, manu uh, Greek manuscripts, the older ones, have been found that don't contain what you don't see here in the ESV and in modern translations they don't contain some of the same words in in, in 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 not just here but other places in the new testament some phrases even sentences now it would seem in the course of time through these hundreds of years uh, a scribe or scholar had made a note to help clarify the passage and somehow it's it made its way to the verses and ended up with becoming a verse that that's probably what happened here um, that's why uh, uh, the older ones seem more accurate since they're closer to the original that was written, these older copies that were written. Uh, there's not that many of the originals, but um, there's older ones than what 
Erasmus used in the Texas Receptus that the King James was based on, where the new King James was taken out. So, that's why in your new King James Bible, you might see a, a little note. Uh, you might see maybe even this part of the, the, the verse that's not in here, or the part of the verse that's not in the ESB, but it's in the New King James, uh, italicized, and there'll be a little note saying something like, some manuscripts uh, or, or not found in older manuscripts. Um, there might be a note like in the ESV, it says some, some manuscripts adds, and they put in like what the New King James has, or the Texas Receptus adds that. So, Modern translations, uh, the translators and their supporting councils say to this ESV or other like the NLT or the NASB 2020 version, they opted to go with the older manuscript really to try and keep more to what was originally written, to keep more closer to the original manuscripts, which there's only, I I don't know, there's hardly any around, but there's copies after that. So that's what their heart was. They wanted to keep to what was originally written and keep the verses accurate as can be. Now take note, none of these variations change basic doctrines in the Bible, basic theology of what's found in the Bible. None of that changes that. It's only little things like, like this that, that aren't in the earlier manuscripts. So understanding that, I just want to bring it up because I don't know, maybe you're sitting there with the New King James and going, wait, Rick, you forgot to say something. Yeah, what, What's wrong with you? Are you taking scripture away? No, no, I'm not doing that. And don't foolishly say that. Like someone said that once, once to me. These newer, newer translations are false because they take out Scripture. They're changing Scripture. They just want to say what they want to say. That's why I stick to my King James, old King James version. You know, that's what a person told me once. And, and I was like, well, you know, actually I tried to explain a, a, lot, this, the, a lot of what I just told you, but... You know, when you say something like that, especially foolishly, it seems to say how dedicated you are to the accuracy of Scripture, but in reality shows how inaccurate you are about Bible translations and how they come to be. And so understand that's what's going on here with the ESV and in this passage. All right, so back to this passage. Now, it could be uh, James and John were taking cues from Elijah. It could be that, you know. It, it, it could be that thought that, that was in the, in the New King James because who uh, called fire down from heaven? It was Elijah in 2 Kings 19 when the soldiers who came to come and take him unjustly, kind of arrest him and take him to the king, came. But it doesn't justify their actions here. So, when we go on in verse 55, but he, Jesus, turned and rebukes them. In other words, wait, wait, no, that's not what you do. That's not the right attitude here. What is the right attitude? Well, the New King James, right, from the Texas Receptus, adds, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. I mean, yeah, that, 
that makes sense, right? And we kind of laugh at it today. Sons of thunder, yeah, these guys, they're ready to judge anyone that crosses them, right? In verse 56 in the New King James, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. He did. Jesus did come. But the older manuscripts don't have that. But it makes sense in that, in that way. Now, even though it's not in here in the ESV, here's my thought. It could be that maybe the copier, the scribe, who perhaps made a note of that, and perhaps if, if it is added in that way, uh, made a note and it ended up becoming part of, part of the verse, perhaps that, that scribe or, or, or scholar, the one who is putting the Greek New Testament together and copying it, and that, perhaps they knew what was coming up. Perhaps they knew that's the attitude that is found in the next chapter of the story of the good Samaritan. Remember how a hated Samaritan, he, he didn't hate, he didn't retaliate, but helped that Jew who was robbed and beaten, left lying on the road. And we'll, we'll get to that in the next chapter. So perhaps that's where it comes from. But we can still take away and learn the same thing. So the problem Pride nurtures hatred and retaliation. But the solution is to operate with a heart full of mercy. That's really the idea. Pride nurtures hatred, retaliation. Yeah, I'm going to bring judgment. And sometimes we think, oh, so justly so. Because that person went against God. Or that person, they're not worshiping right. Or that person isn't doing right. And so I should come and bring the judgment down upon them. But Jesus said, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not right. Jesus rebukes James and John. They went on to the other village, our our last uh, verse. They didn't go in there. Jesus didn't go there himself. No. He could have. He's God's son. They're rejecting him. He could have. He could have done that to anyone, let alone the Samaritan town. But what did Jesus do? He was operating with a heart full of mercy. And that's God. That's God's heart. Understand that. Jesus said himself in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. You see what God is calling us to? To mercy. Yeah, maybe you have a right Yeah, maybe you've been unjustly treated or rejected. But God is calling us to have His heart. Mercy. Who are we to take judgment in our own hands? God judge them. That's His decision. And think about how God has given mercy to us, right? I was thinking about that today. Oh, Lord, who am I to hold someone to some standard when I have failed God so many times, and He's given me so much mercy. I think we forget about that in our emotion, in our, our, our situation, in, 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 when we're offended or hurt or what, whatever happens that in that situation. We get all riled up and you can't do the Bible and we become those Bible-thumper, fire-and-brimstone people. But God... It's a God of mercy. And who am I to do that? I'm glad 
probably my my offense that I made to someone else. They probably want God bring judgment down. What if they listened to God and brought judgment down on me? I would not be here. But God, give me mercy. And that's what we got to do. We got to give mercy. He's calling us to give mercy. He's calling us, you know, to give more mercy. That's his heart. You know what? We have to trust God that he will take care of any injustice. Yeah? He will take care of wrong done to us. Right? What, what, what are we to do? We're supposed to love our enemies, right? What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek, right? Go the extra mile for that person, right? Vengeance is mine, said the Lord Paul said. You know? No. Love back. Give back. Mercy. Give mercy. That's what we're called to do. We put into God's hands His, His vengeance, His making it right. That, that's, that's on the Lord. On our side, it's to love. On our side, it's to forgive. On our side, it's to give grace. What's grace? Undeserved, right? Favor. Giving someone they don't deserve. What's mercy? Holding back what you, you want to do to them. Yeah. God's calling us to mercy. Maybe you're in a situation and you're feeling it, you know? You're, you're, you're like, oh, can't believe this person. Oh, oh, you know, I'm going to give him my two cents. Or, yeah? I'll tell him what's right. Yeah, the Bible and the scripture. Yeah? Maybe you're feeling that. And you're passionate about that. And understand, you know, I was thinking about this this week. You know, God made us human beings with emotions. Sometimes I wish, God, I wish I didn't have these emotions, right? God, you curse me with emotions that control me. But, but that's part of, right, God freeing us and having, a, you know, we grow by the Spirit with self-control and, and learning how to control emotions. And, but emotions also, right? They can be part of how it drives us to love, how it drives us to forgive. It's not everything. We, we, we are obedient to God. I think it's our new creation and the Holy Spirit power, and He changes us and all of that. But I don't think emotion, I was thinking about how emotions are totally bad because it gives us a passion, it gives us a drive. But so many times we take that emotion that God has given us and use it for evil when it should be used for good. And here, mercy. Mercy. So you see, as we wrap up here tonight, pride brings contention. The problem, pride nurtures personal gain. The solution is to concentrate on being the least, not the greatest. Pride brings separation. The problem, pride nurtures self-preservation. The solution is to appreciate others when God uses them. Pride also brings discrimination. The problem is pride nurtures hatred and retaliation. The solution is to operate with a heart full of mercy. I'll close with this. Long ago, this organist in this church was trying to practice a piece. A long time ago, um, by the famous composer Felix Mendelssohn. But he wasn't, it wasn't going too well. <laughs> he was making a lot of mistakes. 
A stranger had walked in, noticed the struggle, and asked if he could have a go at the piece. Sedina right on Oregon. Feeling some shame, his pride kicked in, and Oregon is firmly stated that he never lets anyone touch the church organ. That was his job. That was his official post. But the stranger politely asked again, tried a few more times. The organist kept saying, no, no, but finally, reluctantly gave permission. The stranger sat down, played the piece, filled the sanctuary with the beautiful music, playing that piece flawlessly that the organist had tried to play. When he finished, the organist was just in shock and asked the man, Who are you? The man replied, I'm Felix Mendelssohn. <laughs> what a shock that must have been because, because of pride, the organist almost stopped the song's creator from playing his own music. And I think sometimes we do the same. Our pride can keep God's mercy and love and his work flowing out to others from us. So in all of this, let's learn and realize how much trouble comes when we don't deal with the problem with pride. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to an end here, as we close up this service, Lord, your word goes deep. And some of us, who are hearing my voice and who've been studying together tonight. Lord, we know what's going on deep inside. Your Spirit is speaking to us now. And God, I pray even for myself for forgiveness for my pride and what it's cost. Lord, we want to kill that pride, Lord, with humility. We want to kill that pride, Lord, with appreciating others, Lord. We want to kill that pride with not making it about ourselves and we want to kill that pride by giving mercy, Lord. God, may we lay aside, lay to death, Lord, that pride that brings so many problems in this world, in our society, in the church, in our own lives, in, our, in the relationships that we have. How much has been ruined because of pride. And so, God, we pray for healing upon us, healing upon those situations and relationships. We pray, God, that you would give us your heart, a heart of mercy, a heart of love and forgiveness, God. Lord, thank you that, that you have not stopped Lovingness, God, and you have not stopped reaching out to us, and you have not stopped giving us mercy. And God, that humbles me tonight. It breaks me, Lord. It brings tears to think what I've demanded on others when, God, you have not held me to that in my failures, but you only love me and given me mercy. You've given me grace. So, Lord, may we be reminded tonight of your love, your grace, your mercy. And may you fill us with the same 
that we may not be in bondage to this pride no longer, but freed by your cross and resurrection to live as you live, to live for you, and not for ourselves and our pride, but all for your glory, for your gain. In Jesus' name, amen.